Hey there, and welcome back to The Fuse Show. Today we have Sean Owen of Equa.Global. Thanks for uh, being on the show today. Yeah, Dave, thank you for having me. So can you give me a, give a quick mission of what your company is trying to achieve and how you've come to that? Yeah, so our big why, our mission-driven statement for Equa is to improve, if not eradicate, disputes. So improve the way humans agree with each other. And that's very lofty. It will take us a long time to get there. But we see the foundation of that being everything related to day-to-day -day contracts, the way that we organize with one another, all the different types of technology that exists in our infrastructure for corporations, uh, different types of legal and non-legal entities that people form, and how that kind of history has unfolded and taking that into future tech. So for example, taking corporate governance as one that a lot of people understand with one of our beachheads being small companies and or mm. operating growing companies that you have just a tremendous amount of structure that is really needed if you're going to be quote unquote VC ready or just set up for success. Mm. And most agreements, every part of it one way or another is some form of describing how we do what we do. And so we're, we're obsessed with improving the speed at which people can organize and how governance evolves in the modern kind of internet phase. Is this a problem you've personally faced in the past or a, a problem that you've had a friend or colleague face? This is one that has deeply affected my life where I've personally hmm. experienced what I would call chaos and pain that's probably more expensive than it should be and way more taxing on your personal life than it should be. Uh, that there's just no, nobody really gives you a full sense of what some of these things can be when you go to become an entrepreneur. Mm. Uh, so, you know, after experiencing quite a bit of fatigue of being distracted from what I would say is the mission, you set out on a mission, you want to do X, that you're very passionate about it, and then 80% of your expense line goes towards all these other things usually service providers and all these different mm -hmm. elements of paying taxes and accounting and, and infrastructure and security that you really aren't interested in, but you have to have, and it can be very fatiguing. So I just kind of looked at the intersection across all of that and said, I would love to improve that. If there's something I could do back for humanity and take my experience as an entrepreneur, it'd be really great if it could scale using technology. So we're really optimizing for those pain points, the expense specifically about how to implement types of agreements. I imagine this is really compliance heavy. Is that right? I think there's an element of it. So we look at it as a layer of what you can change and what you can't. So let's say that you're in the United States and you are starting a Delaware corporation. Well, you cannot change the Delaware corporate law, right? You can't change the IRS. <laughs> so we have kind of the layers of hard-coded organization that already exists. And then what we shoot for is to say, Everything else is as customizable as possible for you because what a lot of people don't know is you can customize an organization however you want. They may just go to LegalZoom or their best lawyer they know or copy a operating agreement or some bylaws from somebody and then just run with it. But it might turn out that you put things in place just to check the box that were really not designed for you and they become file cabinet stuffers or you know things that get referenced every once in a while, which isn't really the purpose. The purpose is to have them be living, breathing, structural parts of your organization. So there is a compliance layer without a doubt, but we we really don't focus on that outside of, we don't want to put anybody in a position that they're going to be out of compliance. So we simply hard code the parts that are compliant, 
but we're not necessarily selling that. We do sell a transfer agent service and some other things that are regulatory driven for companies only because they're going to be searching for that. They're going to know what that term is. So that I would call regulatory compliance tech, uh, but it's really what you can do beyond that that I think mm -hmm. is more more of the value proposition. So those like degrees of freedom that you do have, what are the more uh, commonly manipulated uh, like variables? Yeah, the biggest, like the most common variable would be what kind of class of assets, you know, what kind of class of equities do you have? Do you have class A, B, C? Do you have preferred? Do you have something different? Is there just one mm. class? How are you breaking up voting? Are you delegating it just to a board? Is it a small board, big board? Is it just a one person show? You know, so there's tons of variety when it comes to how the capital table is structured um, and looking at capital structures more broadly and then the intersection where governance is needed on top of capital. There's a lot of a lot of interesting things that can happen there. So that's the biggest one. And then of course, how people go to raise capital, I would say is very big. But then the next biggest would really be how people organize in groups. So what I, what I would say are teams. Hmm. And we have the concept of a team where everybody's part of whatever your organization is as a team. But what you really see is people break off into departments or, hey, this is the dev team. This is the hmm. marketing team. This is the governance team. This is the committee for audit, right? So that's got tons of variation where people just have a lot. There's pretty much infinite different ways you could do that. So what's a, what's the ideal point for a one of your prospects to onboard your services? What's the ideal size for them to be at? Well, ideally, we think that the, it's really a question of the next best time to plant a tree is today. We use that mentality. And so I look at it where a perfect world, somebody would create an account and start putting some of their ideas and intellectual property in before they ever even form a company. I see. And this is kind of my own personal belief that you know, the more you can prototype something at a low expense before you really commit to going and putting it out there or paying people, you're probably going to be better off. But what mm -hmm. I've seen more often than not is most of the problems people run into, like what we call cleanup, when you have to get cleaned up before you can raise money. Well, there's like this huge series of events that almost every founder has, has a high probability of making, you know, one of, if not a lot of 50 different types of problems that can occur. Mm -hmm. So it's really a question of like, it, everything matters and the more you can structure it the earlier the better but the ideal beachhead that we go after i think where people really need us is they've got more than their founders right so there's some owners or some founders that have started and they are now managing the expectations of some amount of investors so you could think about that as seed to series a in a more traditional sense where there's where you really do have to solve some of these problems like it's just not going to be it's not going to be acceptable. Investors aren't going to accept it and you're not going to be able to manage it. Uh, but anything in that early stage really, it's a, it's a, there's a line that gets crossed when you go from, it's just my money to I'm dealing with somebody else's money. Hmm. So you mentioned the, um, I guess the level of like disputes that happen and that's, you're, you're trying to resolve that. What are some of the, like, let's, let's call it top three common mistakes that a first time founder might face if they, didn't know about your services or the intellectual ideas that you're trying to help assist with. Yep. So if you think about this, the background being, if you believe that most, if not all problems between people have something to do with communication, mm -hmm. where there's some kind of disagreement, that term usually has to do with something that is being communicated or how somebody communicates it. And that's a very deep topic. But if you just kind of 
take that as a starting point and say, you're going to be doing a lot of communicating, right? So you're going to start this, this thing that's going to become bigger than just one person. It's going to require a lot of communication. That will be a true statement. And so as you get going, the, the typical things are we're putting together idea, we're ideation, we're putting a thesis together, we're testing it, we're looking for product market fit, all the stuff everybody's heard about if they're looking into this space of any small startup at all. Mm -hmm. And then you've got to form all that stuff. So the biggest mistakes for sure are thinking that it's not important about who who owns what and yes, what's the structure where to register this thing and before you start writing checks or making something of value. So it's very easy for people to say, okay, well, we're still in the ideation phase, so it's really not worth anything, right? Mm -hmm. But the second it is worth something, people are like, wait a minute, that's my intellectual property. I did that, you yeah. know, and it changes because you want to go clean it up, right? And so number one, just knowing what the capital structure is to start. Number two, are you are you not going to incorporate it as a group? Are you going to be a legal entity? Is it nonprofit? Is it a for-profit? Mm -hmm. Number three, what what are you doing for the governance? Meaning how the how do we operate? It's just really, it shouldn't be that hard, but it is, hmm. right? How do we make decisions? How do we decide how to spend money? How do we hire? How do we, and that goes on infinitely if you've ever started a company, it, it doesn't ever end. But I think where all the mistakes happen is kind of in the, we'll get to that later. Because it seems like something that's not as important now when if you could just get it out of the way now, you'd be so much better off. One of the things that's really hard to sell to people is more like precautionary preventative measures, just because I imagine a lot of people don't see the dangers of things until the danger is right in front of them and it's about to explode. How do you go about marketing yourself so that people recognize this earlier on before they hit that point where cleanup becomes near impossible? Well, in, in one sense, we don't have to because people okay. do figure it out when it's about to blow up and they start. Like everybody's going to go fix it once they know something's yeah, wrong, yeah. right? And so most, I would say most of the work we do, even though we wish people were doing it all from the very first thought they had, most of it is onboarding people who have already built an organization and we're doing, we're part of the cleanup process. Mm. But the way that I think it's best communicated for somebody who's thinking about should I or should I not is really in the same way you think about insurance, right? It's very easy for somebody to say, you should have home insurance if you're a home or a homeowner, or you should have car insurance. It's, it's almost not even questioned. And it's because if you don't, really bad, expensive things can happen, yeah. right? That's the only reason. And I would say that should be the prerequisite at a company too. You should have insurance. I see. Right? So you're thinking about building an asset, right? If you contrast these two things, so one form of property would be a home, a piece of real estate, and the other is a car, and the other is an enterprise like a corporation. Well, why would you insure? two of those, but not the third. You have mm. to ensure, and especially if the if you're looking for a moonshot, you're telling people you're gonna 10X a $100 million deal, you're gonna be in the next 100 you know, billion dollar company, that should have some insurance. And so I look at this very much like insurance and it's extremely easy to get this point across when you ask some questions. Number one, what's your exit strategy? I.e., don't think too hard, but what happens when you die? Mm. Is this ever gonna be transferred to anybody else? Have you thought about the way that this would be conveyed where would the records go from one person to the other if you were inheriting this to somebody else? Or, you know, and suddenly people go, wait a minute, I haven't thought about that. Mm. And it's, they do all the pitching themselves. I never pitched anybody. I just simply ask questions where they're at. And mm. they're, they're usually looking for it. I think most people want to insure themselves and know 
they're already taking risk. So if you're you're aware you're already taking a lot of risk, the best thing to do is usually protect the downside. So it's I, we really don't put a lot of energy into going out and convincing people. We just look for how many people can we help that already know they have the problem. So you view marketing as more of a how can we help people? Is that right? Absolutely. So we have um, network growth, right? So inherently, every organization, every company is a network. Yes. We're looking for network effects. Every uh, every single company interacts with another company, right? And all humans interact with each other mm -hmm. pretty much in some form of commerce or another. So there's tons of vendor relationships. There's tons of investor relationships. There's tons of all of these overlays. And we really just focus on making the experience so good that you would want to connect and expand by sharing a referral link or by starting mm -hmm. your own organization or migrating. And that's a more organic way to grow. Um, not to say that we won't end up marketing. I'm sure we will at some point, but we really just hyper-focus on how do we get the value to be so good that the network effect takes care of the rest. Mm -hmm. And and right now we're, we're dealing with more demand than we can service, right? So we have to be careful not to overcommit as, as we're scaling. What percentage, if you can give me a rough ballpark, of your users come from these network effects? Um, 100% of it so far. 100%, okay. Yeah. yeah so started, I mean, yes. Okay, so okay, I see, I see. Yeah, so I mean, I started using it for my kind of interest just, just as a guinea pig to start before I really was all in on it. And since then, that has just kind of been an ongoing network effect. Do a lot of your features come from users making suggestions or do you feel like you've had a pretty good grasp on intuition on what people want? The V1 came from me altogether just because I knew the pain points that I was mm -hmm. experiencing. But I would say right now, all of them are coming from customers. Hmm. Like 100% of it comes from the customers. At some point, I would love to get my own ideas back in there. Uh, but, you know, it's always more important to build what the most amount of people want. And I need all the same things. I think everybody mm -hmm. kind of has the same problems. So it's really just a matter of how much can we build, how fast, right? Everybody's got good ideas. It's infinite on how you can come up with different configurations of organizing and structuring. If you think a little bit out of the box, if you're not just copying a template, suddenly there's this whole new world of customization that can happen. So I assume that will probably stay the case that will probably always be the case. The customer will just drive the innovation. Have you ever seen a customer request that you just thought to yourself, oh, I've never even thought about this? Yeah, actually, last week there was one that seemed so obvious and it was very simple. It was just, hey, I'd really like to see on this page multiple different prices of shares hmm. leading up to before this. And it was a view that I just never thought of. Nobody else had brought it up. And I was like, that hmm. makes total sense. So we're, we're going to credit that person with some cash as if it was like a bonus uh, or a mm -hmm. bounty and see if they can be more inspired to help us out more. What's the level of cash that you offer for these sort of uh, feature suggestions? It's not, um, it's not defined yet. So okay. I wanted to find this. We have, we have kind of a credit system internal called EquiCash. You can think about it like Uber Cash or um, you know, Starbucks, but I think Uber Cash is a better representation. And the idea is that we, we continue to grow that as another way for referrals to grow. Hmm. We're, we're very focused on the, the kind of Web3 blockchain space, and there's kind of some overlap where that could get a lot of impact and visibility. But we, I would say the typical, so we let anybody that comes in, we incentivize people on their first organization with the scratch tickets where you earn echo cash credits you can get from 100 bucks up to 2000 depending on how active you are, which would cover a pretty good amount of a, for a lot for a first year for somebody, mm -hmm. if they were if, even for a real company. 
but it's basically proportionate to how big of the organization you are and then how hmm. much you grow. Uh, and then for like this, this person's instance, I'm just going to credit her something. I think we gave her a pretty nice discount off of her subscription as a thank you. Hmm. Uh, you know, it's, it's a bittersweet because on one hand, you're like, don't bring us any more bugs. But at the same time, you're like, but that was really good. Bring us more bugs. <laughs> <laughs> so I think the right thing to do is to compensate people for that. Hmm. And is that something you've had from the very beginning? Because that's a relatively rare strategy. Yeah, that's been day one. I really love the strategy. I love mm. the ability for people to earn like rewards. And I think that there's a lot of these programs that are done okay, but I think a lot of them could be done better. Mm -hmm. oh, definitely. There's, a, there's, there's such an opportunity for communities to be incentivized together, right? To get the crowd, your customer to be feeling much more like a stakeholder. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that's the key is to take the trifecta and blur the line a little bit. So your investors, your customers and your employees are not so separate, but that they all feel they're winning. And I feel like with the customer, the only real way to do that is to give a mistake in something. You know, they've got to feel like they're a part of a culture or brand mm -hmm. or, or a part of the number, you know, they're earning something. So reward points, I think, and the way technology can be programmed has just a huge potential for that. Hmm. Do you it's have an internal, internal, or do you have a forum through which customers and employees can interact? Uh, basically, we have a V1 of it, which is, it feels kind of like just like a support channel. Mm -hmm. What we're looking at launching is a, um, a Discord channel that would be, let the community run it almost, hmm. but, but we would all be in there equal. So we've been using Slack and we have a ton of tools, but we've been using Slack for communication. And the challenge with that is just that it's not directly, you've got to integrate it with your customer. It's not natively integrated to the public, nor would you want it to be. But I think it would be really cool to have a place where everybody's part of a, a conversation. So if somebody points a bug out, it's like, oh, everybody saw that. We better fix that really fast. Right? Um, it just opens up the geometric potential, I think, for things to happen faster. And being with governance, being kind of core to our whole proposition, we're we're looking to initiate something that would allow for stakeholders to vote and propose things in a way to formalize that more so it's not so much that one person's just bringing something to the table that's informal and then we decide if we're going to mm -hmm. give them something it's more a formal process of if you get this through the ringer of the product development road cycle you are the one getting compensated and anybody could bring something to the table it doesn't mean it's going to get in unless it gets consensus but if it does that's another way for the community to drive the network effect Mm -hmm. but, but but we haven't really launched that yet. It's a pretty cool idea. I'd love to see it in more places. I've seen it. I, I think about Product Hunt where it just highlights like things that people, the community gathers around and like highlights. Mm -hmm. And I feel like there's like a variant of it where people can like upvote and downvote various feature requests and companies yes. prioritize whatever has the most points. Yeah. Um, I love to see Do you know of any good ones? Shoot. I used to have one top off, my, off the top of my head, but in the moment I just can't remember it. Yeah, so I'm I'm constantly looking for good examples of that because I think that's where it's at, right? You know, everybody's come, everybody's used to thumbs up, thumbs down. Reddit did a really good job of this, I think, yeah. like for a ver early version. Everybody knows Facebook, but that is such a limited version, right? We, I can imagine way more cool things we could do with something like that, but I haven't found that many people doing it. Hmm. Do you, what, what would you say is the percentage of users that engaged in that like V1 forum or support channel? All of them. Yeah, oh. all, all of them to some degree, right? And a lot of it is because there's a learning curve. Hmm. So there's a lot, there's a lot of um, learning 
how we help people as much as possible. You know, it's not totally scalable, but we're we're committed to giving as much of a human element to it as possible because not everybody really wants more tools to use, right? A lot of people do, but what we're selling, we want to sell uh, peace of mind more than we want to sell technology, right? We want to <laughs> sell the fact that people have a greater sense that they can sleep at night because they have greater consensus in their organization and they have better systems. And so we, we end up putting a lot of energy in interacting with the customers directly. Uh, and I think that is probably going to stay true, right? We're the only, the reason for scaling it into more of a forum is just that we can't scale it one-to-one. Mm-hmm. So we're going to have to find a way to set, scale it through group communication, you know, whether that's open live streams or something to that degree. I think a lot of things have been proposed, but we have had a participation level from day one. Um, I would say mostly because it just takes a little bit of thinking to get your organization cleaned up. And we've never seen one that's structured, right? Like, so that's one thing I'm proud okay. of is that there's not one. And I, and I can say this because everybody's in the same bucket, right? including our own organization, but we've never had one where we don't find a gap or a hole in the analysis where it's like, hey, you should really do this or you could be exposed. And so that adds a ton of value. And I think once people see you just save them a $50,000 legal bill, and then we say, yeah, that's $50,000, but it could have cost you everything if you didn't fix it. They get the value real quick and then suddenly they're on board for us to find any kind of cracks left in the system right so it then it almost begets more of that where people are now looking so it creates more engagement what's the pricing model for all of this so we have a we have a tiered structure when it comes to a SaaS model that really just averages out on about seven bucks a month per user and rolls just like it's a google account uh we expect in the future that there'll be a lot of add-ons that people can bolt on if they want to or we could have tiers but right now we're still just saying it's better to just get people. So just make it a one size fits all and anything we roll out, we just give to people uh, for now, right? At some point we might say, hey, this is only for premium, but we haven't done that yet. So it's really mm. just a simple model of pay per month per user. And if you scale, we scale like a, a Google or a Slack. And is it per user being like a employee or could it also be a shareholder? Oh, yeah, it's a good distinction. So we call them holders, whatever they're holding. And that's typically shares or convertible notes or interest or whatever, mm-hmm. and anything of value in the organization, LP interest, et cetera. So if they're a holder, we're paying for it because there's a certification process that takes a little more energy. You can throw infinite amount of team members in that are auditors or potentially just guests. Like we, you know, we're running a, there's a company raising money on our platform right now. I think they have five or 600,000, or sorry, 500 or 600 guests in there. So we're not going to charge them for any of those. We're only going to charge people if they're really on the cap table in some way or another. So what if a company goes public and there there's like millions of owners? What, what happens at that point? Yeah. So I mean, that's why we have a transfer agent. We would okay. part. We would we would just let them go. You know, the idea is that we if they go public, that's amazing. Yes. Um, we want to keep them. So let's just hand off to any partnering transfer agents to get to the exchange they're on if they're going mm. that way. Uh, but we have an underpinning transfer agent basically only for the, it's, it's really only needed for the public companies or the ones that are going OTC or something like that. Gotcha. On the path. So you mentioned your big why earlier. Um, what would you say leads to you feeling a, a sense of an accomplishment at the end of the day, like a given day? Yeah, I, I get really excited when I know for sure that I've helped a founder. You know, so there's mm. been a couple, there's these magic moments when, you can see 
whether they really recognize it or not, you get the nice thank you and you had the good conversation and they see the value. But you know, like I know for a fact, I'm like, I just saved you a ton of pain. <laughs> and, you know, and that feels really good to me. I get a kick out of that. I mean, I want everybody to be successful. I think it's better to think from a infinite growth than yes. rather than a zero sum game. Mm-hmm. You know, this isn't you have to win so somebody else loses. This is let's if you're building a great product or a great company, you're gonna win. Mm-hmm. And I just don't want something that's totally unrelated to get you, right? Like yes. uh, that you didn't file a document the right way or you hadn't known some information. To me, that is counterproductive. And it really wears, I see it wear on founders. I see it wear on almost all entrepreneurs hmm. when you're fatigued by the things that aren't really adding value to the customer, but you have to go do it. You know, and so I, I pick on lawyers and accountants a little bit, but it's not their fault. It's just, we can do better with technology over time. And I think we will, but I, I get a huge kick and feel proud and accomplished when I see a company hit a new benchmark. You know, there's, I won't name names, but there's a company that just raised capital and there, I see them winning. There's an, another one that has just, there's a guy and he's just done everything perfect. And it's, he's hmm. always asked the right questions. He's, he's never going to go do something without asking. And I, and, I'm, and I think that's great. You know, it makes me really happy to see things structured in a way where they have a higher probability of success. Hmm. What would you say is the percentage of days where you feel you get that dopamine hit? I mean, I get the hit every day one way or another, but I don't get the okay. really good ones like that. For maybe, maybe, I don't know, maybe once every two weeks or something. The other thing that really gets me excited is rollouts of new tech. I just love software development. And so it can be extremely fatiguing. But when you do have a launch where there's no bugs, or for example, or you push something out that you've really wanted to see for a long time, that that is that feels great, mm, right? Like that feels really good. So between the rollouts and the releases and helping people hit benchmarks, it's, it's every week. There's something really cool every week. How involved are you with the regular deployments and rollouts of features and releases? I mean, it's uh, I put as much energy as I can into it. I would put 100% of the time into it if I could, hmm. but I would say realistically, it's probably like 60 to 80% by the time you go through the whole process of problem, ideation, solution, potential, rigmarole, you go through the whole gambit and then before it's released, I'd say that's the majority of what I do. I see. Is there a certain business process you like to follow when it comes to like the cycle you just talked about? We're building our own, and okay. I'm sure in some way there's probably something that's that's not smart about that, right? Like there's probably some argument to be made. Why are you recreating the wheel? But we have some interesting nuances to our company that, and and I also think because we're building a tool that's predicated off of structure, right? Like we're giving people the tools to organize and structure, that it it would be kind of weird if we didn't build our own. So, mm. uh, but I would say we've gone through a lot of the standards between agile to sprints to pre-planning. There's a lot of normal structure that we follow, uh, but we basically call everything in our roadmap a product development path, product development process, if you will. Mm-hmm. And that forces the entire company, no matter if it's a web page update or if it's an investor relation or if it's a legal document or if it's an accounting thing, it kind of forces awareness. So even if something goes very fast, it's still going through the same process. Mm. Um, it feels like it goes a little slower on some days, but it, I think it helps out because then suddenly everybody knows what's going on, at least at a visibility level. But I'm not sure if I answered the question right as far as the- No, 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 that, that does answer my question. 
I, I usually like to ask this question because I like to dig into the, like the the details and nitty gritties. Was there a time where you feel? Uh, did you feel like you came to this process as a, a result of things not working with a previous process? Like you, you mentioned um, visibility across the board. Did you have a period of time where you had problems with visibility? Yes, absolutely. Okay. So I believe in transparency. Um, mm -hmm. More information is not always better for everything, but when you need it, more information is almost always better. And if you look at anything in the financial industry or society where we're where we have we've decided as a society that it is important for public companies to put a certain amount of information up or whatever. I call all of that kind of transparency or information sharing. And we live in this information area now where most people can get some amount of information instantaneously about something all the time, but it doesn't mean it's always good information. And it doesn't mean it's always accurate, right? As right, right. So I have personally seen some serious problems, like very big problems that were, would have been solved with one thing, which is just people having information. Right. And that right. this comes back to this concept of this, our whole company is predicated that all problems some way are are related to communication breakdown. So okay. humans fail or disagree when they cannot communicate properly. And that gets a lot more complicated, the bigger the organization is, or the higher the stakes are. Hmm. So all of the things related to that have to come down to what kind of information does everybody have? Is it curated? Is it trustworthy? Is it, can people accept it? Can they add, can they participate to it? And a lot of that just comes straight down to having participation more broad and having transparency or more, more availability for truth. Plus I, I come from um, an obsession for about 10 years of Bitcoin, the technology, if anybody's familiar with that. And it is the big breakthrough there, in my opinion, was immutability, which is just another word for you can't counterfeit can't this. It's, yeah, it's yeah. hard coded. Like it's, it's, um, this is the official version, right? This is the truth. And so that's where most of the communication problems come down to is when people say that's not true, or I didn't mm -hmm. know that. Right. And it may seem like, how is that related to a tech company, but to solve governance, that's related to everything. Mm -hmm. So all the problems I've ever experienced that were really big, I've looked at every single one of them in retrospect, that was really painful. And they've all either been missing information where transparency would have fixed it, or the information was uh, maybe not verifiable quick enough, meaning we didn't have the truth button on it. Somebody was saying, why well, I disagree? And there wasn't really a quick way to prove it. Yeah. Um, or not enough people participating, meaning closed doors, stuff happening that creates the, miss the missing information again where people assume the worst because they are missing information. It's dark and I don't know what's under my bed. Mm. So I'm going to imagine there's a boogie monster under my bed. When you turn the lights on and you look under the bed, there's nothing there. Right. And that's true often. So I have a huge passion for figuring out the right ways to allow people to have more transparency and broader distribution of their organization or how they're doing things. Because I think that is how we conquer this problem of dispute. How do we stop people from disagreeing so much? Nobody wants to live in a world where everything's totally polarized. Nobody wants to lose money. Nobody yeah. wants to spend their day, uh, you know, burning bills on things that are that people are disagreeing about or that are backlogged. Everybody wants to get along better. Everybody wants more money. Everybody wants to have things go faster. So some of these are just fundamentals that I think we can, we can at least play a big part in solving for the people that we're helping. 
in the domain of governance, are you ever afraid of going to the point of transparency to the point that it's just information overload? No, because it's really up to each party, right? I totally think about that problem a lot related to what would you what would it look like if just everything were you know, you drop the cloud bomb and suddenly everything is leaked out on the internet and you're right, like, right, oh right. no, everybody knows everything now. That might who knows what happens there, right? <laughs> I think it's concerning. Um, but I think, you know, it really never works that way. What I see happen more not more than that is actually the opposite. Most companies over restrict themselves. I see. And what I mean by that is they assume, well, we're starting as a private company, it's just us. So let's just adopt some bylaws and rules and let's go do the fun stuff. Let's go build our product and find market fit and go out and raise money and get on TV or whatever. But they they don't have to, it's like once you put something in place, it needs to be very flexible. You need to be able to go from policy changes quicker. And what I've seen almost more than not is that information gets restricted when it shouldn't and that people don't really have a good way to fix it. Um, Anybody who's ever been on a board of a company will know it is way harder to get a decision done the right way with five or six people than it is with one person. And so that can be painful. But if we can make that better, meaning that it's not harder, there's a process in place, for example, then suddenly you can you should be able to get the best of both worlds, meaning there's proof that more peer review of a decision should yield a better decision if the incentives are aligned. Mm-hmm. But there's also proof that um, if you don't make good decisions, sometimes everybody just, you know, is covering their own risk and the decision never gets made. And so there's all these complexities that come up that I am a believer over time humans will solve through applied intention and technology. But right now there's still lots of opportunity for entrepreneurs to find those solutions. I really like the concept of aligned incentives. Would you say that's in the domain of your scope or is it more so on the organizations for for you to encourage them to promote aligned incentives, but it's not part of the platform? No, it's definitely part of it. Okay, I, I, think, I, I, I'm a, I love that topic, by the way, too. So I'm, I'm fascinated with how to align incentives. That was, I would say, the, the second biggest driver for me was thinking about the whole paradigm that we live in with finance, which I, I know we don't have time to get into today, probably. But it is just complicated, right? Oh, definitely. And, yeah. and, and I look at it and I think, okay, so... If, the, if you go off the premise that competition is good for the consumer, I totally buy that, right? Two, two companies beat it out to death and the, the one good thing is that the consumer is gonna win either way, right? However, I don't think the consumer totally won if there's all this chaos and stuff that's maybe not directly measured in that equation because you're taking um, the data set is limited to just the, the value proposition of the cost of the product. What about all the people that just ran the, the race to zero on a product that ended up one of them going bankrupt and all mm. the stuff that comes out of that? And so I've always kind of thought, especially in the last five years, I've been thinking a lot about like, how would we align incentives? And I, I think macro on this, you have to start by saying, well, is it possible to live in, say, a, a world and like, we can even go smaller and just say, is it possible to live in a country where at minimum, we all feel like we're at least working on the same team, right? Mm-hmm. And so I would describe that to me when I was you know, five, six, seven years old growing up and you didn't know any better, it just kind of felt like, okay, we're all part of the society. We all do things a certain way, that's why we do it. We're all on the same team. And then you see all this stuff that 
is contrary to that, right? Bad things happen and people fight and all these things happen. You're like, wait a minute, this is, this is crazy. Why, why is this like this? And it's because incentives are not aligned. I believe that's one of them. It's not the only problem, right, right. but I think it's a very big one. And I think we have to challenge the notion of how we apply competition. If you take, for example, a young kid and say, all that matters is competition. You must win all the time. That would be, <laughs> that that be really fun for games, right? Like you're, right, home, right, you're playing right. games. This is going to be great. It's fun. Like ah, I beat you, you beat me. It's super fun. But as soon as you go to the playground or as soon as you go to dinner or as soon as you go on right, vacation, right, right. and you go to the real world, you're like, no, 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 no. You can't apply that here. No, yeah. no, no, no. You can't do that. What are you doing? You know, no, they, that there's all these other concepts that come into play, right? Where we have to work together. Right. And I love thinking about the, counter to that, which is that humans arguably are the dominant species because we learned how to cooperate yes. with each other, right? So we learned how to communicate and cooperate, which made the division of labor possible, which made us be able to thrive. And for that to occur, you don't, you don't compete with one another, you cooperate. And I would say the problem that we see in history also where that is not true is when two different cooperating groups of humans went to war, yeah. right? And so we got to solve that. But I think that that is the competition element coming back into play. So it it's just not black or white, but if people could just accept that competition is good inside of certain frameworks, but not good all the time, mm -hmm. and cooperation is good probably all the time. Uh, I'm, I've yet to find a, a good example of where cooperation isn't good, as long as it's something where no consent is broken, meaning everybody involved agrees this mm -hmm. should be happening. Yes, Again, exactly. back to my, my thesis that we have to solve agreements to get here, uh, then you are aligned. And so I actually think the, they're directly, directly related. The, the driving force of how do we get people to agree better and speed up the process of agreement and organizing together requires us to think about how to align incentives it's embedded into it. And it's obvious to see in a company or a sports team or a group, small group, it's mm -hmm. obvious. Hey, we got to work together. We're, we got to go beat the other guy. That's where it gets weird. It's like the incentive is always, we got to beat the other guy, <laughs> right? Instead of we got to provide value to our customers or we got to build more value in every transaction. So I just think it's a little bit of a paradigm shift. We're going to have to get, uh, everybody's gonna have to grow up a little bit more on that. I don't even know if that's a technology problem so much other than maybe communication, right? So I still come back to communication because if you look at two different, um, two different countries fighting, right? Well, there's a high probability that they both speak two different types of language and that they have different cultural understandings of words. And that could in itself lead to a breakdown in communication, which uh, exacerbates the feeling that we should just go duke it out. Hmm. And so how do we improve communication is probably beyond the scope of what I'm wanting to solve. But I do think that when you agree to things, that's a form of communication. And when you write something down, it's really there just in case you disagree. It's saying, hey, we shook on this, we agreed on this, so we're going to make a record of it because it's important, right? And so I do think that we can make a huge impact on what type of information people agree is true and how we decide to hard code things, you know, in um, nerd blockchain terms, it'd be what goes on chain and what doesn't, right? Yeah, yeah. What, is, what is real and what is not real? But in more broad terms, 
you know, we, we got to figure out how do we all agree with each other more because fighting it out and disagreeing is only benefiting big news organizations. Maybe, maybe not even them might be making them go obsolete, but it's definitely not, <laughs> it's, it's not helping society, right. right? It's not, it's not helping society to have two parties beat it up. It's not helping society to have two companies beat it up. It's, it's helpful if it's two sports teams because everybody knows it's a game, but I don't think it's helpful in life. So, I mean, I could go all day on incentives because I think there's this whole new behavioral economic paradigm that's starting to occur where you can think about because of programmable money and because of the, the internet age we're living in, you can really start to think about communities creating incentive structures all the way up to the level of government issued currencies down to the level of sovereign uh, individual groups. There's this super fascinating, interesting phenomenon going on right now that is what I would call eco behavioral economics, uh, the experiment, the Cambridge explosion of experiments that's happening with economics and technology is fascinating to me, it's super fascinating. So I think there's just tons to be explored there on aligning incentives. And I'm hyper-focused on how does the intersection of governance, which is not a very sexy term, right? Like governance just doesn't sound good. But it, it's, it sounds important as far as this must be important. Like we must have governance. But I just would say that what that really is, is it's making decisions in groups, which that's kind of important. And when you start to think about like, how do we just all come to making decisions in groups and overlay capital incentives with behavioral economics, it gets super interesting. Uh, you know, so I, I think it's it's exciting. I might just be the nerd in the room, but I love that stuff. No, I, I love nerding on on details. Do you do you translate these ideas in the world of economics into the world of relationships as well? I do the best I can where it's applicable. It's not always okay. applicable, but uh, yeah, I would say to a certain degree, I I'm the one that will that will say, hey, how should we split this bill up? Not because it matters. It might just be yeah, yeah. bar tab, but. I feel like there's always some way to make things better in hmm. you, when you think about groups doing this in relationships. And I definitely do that in the relationships and agreements. And I think that's where part of the frustration comes from, the friction that we want to remove is that hmm. it just shouldn't feel like a big task. It shouldn't seem hard. Like hmm. if we wanted to say, hey, I'm gonna, I, I want to hire you part-time for some gig economy work on X bounty. Like, I don't want to have to go pay an attorney, take two weeks, draft up an agreement, send it to you, redline back and forth. Hey, why mm -hmm. are you using Google Drive? I'm using Microsoft. Mm -hmm. Hey, no, do you have the last version? No, I don't have the last version, right? I don't want to do that. Nobody wants to do that. And what we do want to do is we want to say, hey, let's build cool stuff. I've got some value proposition with a skill set that matches yours, right? That would be just a micro uh, agreement in a perfect world that we could figure out real quick, mm -hmm. right? Everybody's doing something cool that's different from what other people are doing and there's so much potential that could be unlocked if we can find quicker faster better ways for people to work together or collaborate together or cooperate uh, so i'm i don't know if i'm implementing it all the time as much as i would like to but i'm definitely thinking about it and thinking about how to integrate that as much as i can it definitely takes like i feel like a uncommon level of self-awareness to be able to identify those situations and as well as apply some sort of like meta framework that is consistent across examples. Sure. Uh, do, you, do you ever find that you find it difficult to work with people if they don't have that same level of awareness around I don't know, interpersonal relationships? Yep, <laughs> I would say yes. Um, 
I am aware, I don't, I don't know if I lose my patience immediately. I'm pretty patient, but eventually it is, it is a barrier where you, you basically have to overcome it, right? There has to be some, you have to agree on some stuff fundamentally, even though most things are social contracts, right? Most of what we do every day is actually unspoken. Yes. It's been said somewhere and we've adopted it. Um, I heard this the other day, I don't know if he said it, but I, I really latched onto it. It's like, even if all the police went away tomorrow, most likely everybody in America would keep driving their car on the right side of the road, not the left. And yeah. it's because there's just like, it's just there, it's working, right? And it, you, but arguably you could say, hey, why don't we just switch this up? Nobody's gonna do that. <laughs> and and, and um, recently it was very obvious, the social, I mean, it, I feel like it was almost instantaneous that the very first time people started saying, hey, six feet away from each other and- Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It was yeah. like, boom, suddenly it was the social norm. Yeah. Right. No, I didn't sign anything agreeing to that. I didn't sign a contract. Most people didn't consent, or right, they didn't even know consent. Right. It's like, also the We didn't update Congress, right? Like, <laughs> so it wasn't formal, but yet it was adopted. That's a that social contract layer. I think is vastly underestimated, um, and and very interesting to explore. But you're right. It's it's hard to stay aware of the thoughts you're thinking that turn into the words you're saying. And let alone check with the other person. Hey, do you agree with that definition of that word? You know, they're like, no, I don't. Mm -hmm. But you would never know that because most people just keep on communicating. And so both parties just assume the other person heard what they said. And there isn't necessarily this like pinging back and forth to confirm that the other person understands what you're saying, where it would be needed to do that in a perfect world, right? You'd need like a total meta level agreements right but I, I think a lot about like how can we integrate this in as tech so we don't have to think so hard um a good example that i think would be really cool we want to build at some point in time on the roadmap but it's pretty far away would be we're having a conversation like this in some form of medium and yes we know we could transcribe that and other people can listen to it or we could record it but what if there were just all these um what if there were a bunch of algorithms running that could say little cue up at the end. Here's all the things you said you might want to do. Here's the ones you could click to agree or disagree with. Here's how you can mm -hmm. clean that inbox out of thoughts that you shared with this other human. And I, I want to do that with Equa where we can literally just have a bright idea right now and go, let's do that, right? It's that moment of inspiration where you're like, yeah, that's cool. Let's go further than just talking about it. Let's make something. It would be amazing if we can get to where, or when I should say, when we get to where the technology is so teed up that that is not fatiguing. It's not like, oh, I got to go start another LLC and think about like drawing up another agreement and then I got to go set up QuickBooks. Like, no, how about we can just get it to where it's like in the background, teed up, already knows your information, knows my information. We've already agreed to consent on things only as necessary, but now we've got our own little stack of intellectual mm -hmm. property and we can launch it that tomorrow night or something, right? Like, I think we can get there. Uh, I get really excited about that kind of stuff. Hmm. Okay. Well. Well. So how how do you involve? How do you take all these? Um. I guess like philosophical preferences and philosophical, um. I guess ideologies and translate them into your hiring process, or, or do you at all? Oh yeah. I mean, look. This is one. I would say, <laughs> you want to talk about mistakes people make. Do not partner or hire the wrong people. Right. Uh, that's a big one. So, I mean, I've made that mistake many times. I've hired the wrong people. It It's hard. It's a hard job to hire people. And it's definitely a hard job to get organizations to all have a cultural fit. But I feel like the way you, it, you, the way you have to do that is you have to kind of put your values out there. 
you have to get some consensus around it and you have to do, you have to do the work to let everybody have an opportunity to say i agree with that that's a future mm. i want um if they don't want to be a part of the mission who cares if you've got the money to pay them and they want money right, it's right, just right, going right. to be a tire fire it's a bad idea so i I've, i am extremely sensitive in our hiring it take forever to hire um but i'll fire you really fast because i've learned that lesson <laughs> and uh, i just know for sure that because i've made some of these mistakes before i don't ever want to do it again like i would way rather date for a really long time in a, a relationship that's new with the business than just go straight to sign the docs and we're married because in that analogy you just don't know enough i think both mm. parties both parties need to be back to disclosure and transparency got to disclose it all like have a peek under the hood see what's going on test drive a little bit um a long time ago you worked in restaurants and they would call it staging you would go in as a chef and or sous chef and they'd make you work for free for like a couple shifts and you would just go and work and everybody would see how you interacted in real life so your hmm. resume is out the window that's cool you did that before but you got paid for that that doesn't really matter hit that line and see if you can grill with those guys and or you know you say you can do sushi do it right and that ability to just work with people is where you learn if you're a good fit and i think many people i have made this mistake but i feel like most people make the mistake of feeling like i must earn money so i have to have a job so i'm going to pick up a job within a certain amount of time because i need to pay my bills mm -hmm. so the best i could do is I interviewed at five places, I took one. And then they just commit to that, right? And it's like, well, what if that wasn't a good fit for you? And what if we could fix that to where you could just keep shopping and maybe be more flexible or work part-time or figure it out for a while and then go somewhere else? Mm -hmm. So maybe the part that aligns for me is just allowing for a more flexible, open world, more transparent world. Uh, I think it would be cool if you could go on vacation be in a new place and pick up a shift somewhere for the day and then be like, nope, that was fun, but I don't like it. Uh, being more flexible with the technology and the scheduling tools and all the ability for payroll and accounting is going to fix that. I know a lot of people are working on types of technology for the gig call me like that, mm -hmm. but that, that is embedded into the thinking. The way I really go to hire is I just will not hire you unless I think you've, you've got the same mentality and you'll, you'll fit in with people. And, after that happens, we hire, I'm going to hold you accountable to that. And if you're, if you're not living up to it or other people don't like it, you got to go. It's no hard feelings. You just, it's not a good fit. So you can't be there because you're not doing yourself justice, right? As the founder or the person paying the bill, if you can see somebody's in the wrong spot, mm -hmm. you're doing, you're making the mistake by keeping them there. Mm -hmm. That's your fault, right? If you know yeah. they're not supposed to be there, that's your fault. Do you do them a favor, help them out, give them a resume boost help them find another job, but don't keep paying them for something that they're miserable doing that everybody around them hates the fact that they're doing, you know, so get them out. What's the fastest you've ever had to let someone go or you just like just saw it and you knew you had to. Oh, I, I mean, honestly, it was like an hour. Okay. <laughs> yeah, That's pretty not fast. Even kidding. Okay. Yeah, not even kidding. And, I, and sometimes happened? people, it was just, I, I, I think alcohol was involved, but I see. there was like, Hey, this is so exciting. It's your first day. And then what the, you know, like, I see. Like, WTF, okay. you're out of here. Right. But that's not very common. Mm -hmm. You know, it's usually I hope not. <laughs> no, I mean, I, that, that's really rare where you're like, wow, I can't believe I wasted my life doing two interviews with you. That sucks, <laughs> right? 
you're that that's the worst the worst is when you go through a really long time and then you think you got a great fit and then it's like very disappointing but i think that's not really what usually happens what happens is people are busy you work real hard to go through all that process and interview and then you start and you're like well it's not perfect but i don't want to have to go back to interviewing we're busy so let's just keep working and that's where you gotta say no we you know you just can't scale I've seen it myself. You just can't scale with the wrong people. It will one one person in the wrong spot will blow the whole thing up. So, what would you say your cultural values are right now, and how have they been formed through your past? Yeah, we have a running list of them. Some of them have okay. been published to our website, but off of you know. So, first of all, you have to believe in a, that we can agree with each other. Okay. Uh, you you have to believe in a consent-driven world, meaning the perfect world is not one where some people tell other people what to do. Maybe that's okay as parents to a certain degree, but we're not parents, we're, we're adults. So you've got to believe that everything should be predicated off of consent, not uh, force. You have to believe in aligned incentives. You have to believe in integrity and truth and trust. And, um, you know, tr trust is huge, right? You have to be able to trust somebody. Back to this whole conversation we're saying about how you find a team, right? If you don't trust each other, when you're out in battle, nobody's got each other's back. You have to trust each other but there's so many of them right like when you start looking at values it's really interesting i've built a lot of um culture books and types of company documents where you put your mission vision together and everything and i've seen the ones that are just total rip-offs and nonsense where it's like that's just stupid you guys <laughs> and and i've seen the ones where it's pretty thoughtful and um yeah. you know i always think about uh, the late tony shea and his in a book he yeah. the way he addressed that was really cool but that's just one example. And I think that's because people participate. So what we want to get to, and I think we're pretty close, is to be able to vote and share or critique in a way with consensus using our own tool on our own def definitions. And core values and mission is probably second only to roadmap. Like without a roadmap, people don't know what to believe in. Without the mission, it's like, why are we doing this? Hmm. Once you have the mission and the roadmap out there, even if it's long right i love to talk about elon musk going to mars right that's a mission that's that's a big deal yeah. um but it doesn't it doesn't have to be that every day just people need to know like where are we going um and so once you have that i think the very next thing to agree to is the language you use which i would say when people say oh you have to have culture what they're really talking about is you have to agree with each other on the, the how you do things mm -hmm. and so the the how to like I just call them all how to's, how to do X, how do we do X? That becomes the, we do this this way. Uh, at Equal, we do this this way, right? It, this is how we do this. And to me, that is predicated off of having values. So you always know, does this align? And the way we ask the question is, is this problem? Like, so there's always a problem, right? And most of the time, the, the problem is actually, actually that you're jumping to a conclusion before you know what the problem is. And there may be a better solution to the problem if you define it better. but in that, it usually starts with how do we align on the, the values of what we prioritize, meaning which problems are we going to solve? We cannot solve all the problems, so we have to be very careful mm -hmm. to pick which ones we solve. And in doing so, if we do that right, we, we speed up the process to get to the mission because we are not getting distracted. And so you can't do that unless everybody's on the same page with the values. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if we put enough energy into it yet, but we we're thinking about ways to like not only do that in a way that we're using it, but I, I hope that we'll be able to give the toolkit 
to other organizations and say, hey, if you guys want your own standard definition, go for it. If you, you should really think about like when you're putting this governance and these agreements in place, don't just use uh, a Google ripoff from somewhere, you know, like, like customize your own stuff and let people participate because that's mm -hmm. where you flush it out. Mm -hmm. That's where all the real agreement happens. It's down at the definition layer. Um, you know, to, to go there on the legal side, if you ever look at any kind of legal agreement, it's the reason you have that whole section about definitions at the beginning. It's, hey, we agree that this means in this context, this, hmm. yes or no, right? If you don't do that, you can have a great agreement and it still turns into a disagreement, right? So it's um, predicated off of agreeing on the nomenclature and language definitions and what that means does, once you both know, yep, we're talking the same language, does that align with A, the values we have? Because if you're gonna break a value, it's like, that's out. Um, that's not trustworthy, that's not integral, that's not about uh, aligned incentives, whatever it is. And then B, is this a problem we should be solving, right? Because it's, for guys like me who are always thinking about new ideas, it's really hard because uh, I'd say 50% of the ideas I have, I shouldn't be solving. So I just have to keep backlogging them. Even though I want to, maybe I will. Shiny object syndrome. Yeah, it's just there's so many cool problems to solve that you have to say which problems are we solving and then really stay focused on the one, you know, the one at a time that matters. That's all part of culture. That's all part of your values. Hmm. That's all part of how you hire too. As a semi-related aside, how many, have you looked into the domain of linguistics or how many languages do you know? So I, uh, I'm familiar with English and I'm, I'm a little lax on it, but I spend a lot of time on Spanish hmm. and then I started to get into Mandarin Chinese, but I would be embarrassed to show you my skill set. Um, but yeah, linguist, I think everything related to language, I want to find more time in my life to put into that. It's definitely core to all of everything I'm working on that I think is important. And I think for society, right? So I can imagine getting to the point where the translating technology solves a lot of this. Say, for example, mm -hmm. if I was speaking Mandarin right now, but you were hearing the way I'm translating this way, I think that's going to solve a ton of problems, actually. Um, but it's pretty cool or romantic, maybe, to imagine that we could all get to the point where we can see, speak multiple and understand each other, right, without throwing out the culture of other people's culture. Like, mm -hmm. it's really interesting that there's certain words some cultures have that other uh, other languages have, yeah. don't have. It's, yeah. it's interesting that some languages don't have the same sounds as others, right? And they've still found a way to communicate. And I've always kind of thought it would be fun to work on a project that was working on like a, a master language that incorporates all of it. But I have not the time to do that. <laughs> I, the re the reason it. I ask is you, you strike me as a person who knows multiple languages. And I think something that most people who know multiple languages know is that every language at some level has built-in inherent levels of imprecision due to yes. the limitations of the language like i think like the word love in english is one there's one word for love but like in greek there's like four or five or six depending on how you count and there's like different nuances to each individual translation yes. so th there's a lot of uh, beauty and like learning to appreciate as well as at the same time you have to realize there's a strong need for specificity yes yeah no absolutely and you picked up on that correctly it i definitely am not an expert but i've been exposed to other cultures enough that i've seen a lot of these examples where you especially when you're first learning a language you have to basically pick the word that is closest because you're 
you're sentencing things together, you're stitching together, but you don't know all the details, right? So yeah. you're missing tons of words. In reality, you're missing huge swaths of it when you first start, but you're still saying, hello, can you show me the bathroom, right? And, <laughs> and, and so you find yourself continuously reusing certain words more than others. There's this whole statistic on um, how the most used words, right, in English, yeah. it's really interesting. So there's this huge long tail but there's a certain chunk at the beginning that is highly used all the time. The words like the, right? And um, it, they're used all the time. And then there's this long tail of words that you can measure how often they're used. And some of them are like never used, right? And so if you were learning a new language, you would never learn those. The, the yes. probability of you learning the whole tail is, is not probable. And so you're gonna reuse all these components that are primitive up at the front, meaning they're easy to say. They're either short or sweet or easy. And that's where that phenomenon comes from saying, well, the closest word I understand is love. And yeah. you might have seven of them, but I'm just going to keep reusing love for all these contexts. But I, I think that's also ultimately part of the problem, right? So if you look at any industry or nomenclature that gets specialized, everybody's got an example of this where there's abbreviations and words that are only relevant for that niche of that kind of industry. Um, or that specialization, mm -hmm. but but they exist because they matter. Yes. They may aren't, they're not widely adopted by everybody, but if they could be widely adopted by everybody, it would improve the ability for everybody to understand each other, right? Because they are knowledge. There's, we've, we keep quantifying smaller segments of understanding, I think is what drives at that, is nuance and, and context. So the love in a certain situation could be described differently. So we don't have to use a sentence we can use one word. Mm -hmm. That's ultimately a heuristic and everything in language ultimately is evolves, it seems, to the path of least resistance, right? It's not always for the best, but the more language you have and the shorter you can say the thing, the more we can share with each other and the better we'll understand each other. So I am definitely fascinated by all that. It's a side project that I think also can fit into Equa when we get there. Um, that just I would love to see a world where you can get that to be established easier, right? So the agreement on shared information inside a company, uh, every company I've ever worked for has its own set of cultural norms. You make up words for things, you create certain habits that everybody knows, or you ring the bell for certain things that other people would ring the bell for something else. I think it'd be really cool to allow for all of that to be embedded into the actual stagial corporate documents, right? Like, why does it have to be separate? Why can't we mm -hmm. get to where everybody knows what they're signing up for and they can get in and out based on if they agree quicker, right? Um, one other thought, just because we're talking about stuff like this that I'm, I think would be really cool is the concept of a rage quit, right? Or um, like a, a good example would be a rage divorce, right? So the rage quit concept would be I'm pissed, I'm out, <laughs> right? Uh, F you, right? And I can think of just like hundreds of examples with partners and people where you're at that point where you're like, if this doesn't change, then I'm out, right? Okay. Where, or or um, a better way to put it would be, if given the opportunity, let's just take some big companies out there that are private, they're not public companies. Let's say some restricted companies. If given the opportunity, how many times did directors, officers, employees of that company, if given the opportunity to just click a button, get all their shares turned into cash and they're out, no, no need to talk about it, no paperwork, right? Just, I rage quit, right? Um, that is a form of an agreement, right? Yes. And, that is, that, and that is so interesting to me to think about 
why that can't happen right now is simply because of the ability for accounting paperwork and culture norms to catch up but if all of everything was liquid and customized and programmed to the degree that you were like this agreement is broken rage quit right that it would be really cool to just split all the assets you take your portion you're out that in itself would have that would um in my and the reason i think about this to bring it back just for context is that in my mission to solve world disagreements right how do we get to, how do we eradicate disagreements this one has to be solved so <laughs> there, there has to be the ability where you're just like i'm out right yeah. no questions asked we're broken up it's over don't call me right and nobody's hurt it's okay it's a normal thing where it's just like peace um that concept and it's i jokingly call it rage quick because i think that's best what suits it but it, it wouldn't probably always be like that in fact if we solved it it would never be like that because it would be more granular it'd be like yeah, yeah. Hey, i'm not feeling as much i think i just want to take some off the table and maybe work on something else a little more yeah. right now it's so structural it's not like it was in our parents generation where it was you work at this one company forever they give you a pension you get a watch and you retire that's it it's way different now it's more flexible right people move around they travel more they don't work one place as long is, is committed. And I see that as a good thing. But I think if you took that to the infinite degree, right? And it has to include that everybody's aligned on their incentives and nobody disagrees. It's just, this is good for society to allow people to be flexible. Then we would solve this problem in a way where you wouldn't be restricted. Right now, I can't tell you how many people I know that own some form of private stock or they worked really hard for some sweat equity and they're never gonna see it right it's not happening hmm. it's just because the hurdle to get all the way to a public company like in the us is too high yeah. and unless you get purchased by a vc who, what are you going to do right you're basically going to have to get purchased acquired or you're going to go public or what or it's going to zero and yeah, i think the that, a serious problem it is a, it's a serious yeah. problem it's a real problem and i think the way that, that problem manifests itself is people having misaligned incentives, being super stressed out, ruin, ruining their family life, uh, feeling fatigued, obsessing about things they shouldn't, trying to solve problems they can't. It's, I, I've stared at it and there's just so many negative consequences to illiquidity. Uh, and so that's another passion of mine is just liquidity. So if you think about how would you, what would a rage quit equal? It would equal maximized ability for liquidity. Yes. What is the best investor protection known demand, optionality, that equals mm -hmm. liquidity, right? So if there's no risk if you're holding something liquid. That's why people say dollars are not, if you've got cash, they're like, what are, you, what are you complaining about? There's no risk in this. But if you sold an investor something and it's illiquid, man, there's tons of risk, right? Yeah. You could be on the hook for that. And so it's the question is to me is we've, we've done some of this stuff backwards. So we've solved some problems by making things super restricted and by over-regulating things, setting a very high bar to go to be in public, right? It's a very high bar to get to being a public company. And in a way you're like, okay, well, we're curating this to make an investor uh, grade. Yeah. And, I, and I believe in that. But what I think is wrong with that is that, what about everybody else, right? Like, what about everybody else? They're all gonna be wishing they could rage quit on something they can't because there's no liquidity and all the work towards investor protection, you actually just harmed everybody. And so I think we have to solve the private markets, meaning uh, 
we've got to get the private markets to have the same toolkit as the public markets. Uh, that's another thing about that I'm yeah. passionate with Equa is saying, how do I get you investor ready? How do I get you VC ready? How do I get you public faster? Hmm. Um, or at least to the quality of oversight, transparency, and um, information shared structure, right? Because so, almost all of it comes down to auditing. That's expensive. A lot of companies, like most startups, you know, there's no way they're paying for real audits to go public. That's not happening, right? You, you got to make some serious money as a company and be legit before you can even right. entertain going public. And that's unfortunate for the investor because, again, I'm beating a dead horse, but we need the rage quit button for everybody. Uh, so liquidity, how do we get liquidity? That's another not stated goal of Equa, but it's another passion of mine that I believe will improve society is we've got to have people own things that are more secure, i.e. safer, more invest, more insurance, more liquidity, ultimate insurance being liquidity. That in itself uh, wipes out a whole bunch of disputes, right? That in itself eradicates a whole bunch of disagreements. That in itself makes a better organization for humanity. And that's the kind of thing that I'm looking for people that are passionate about that at Equa. How do we improve humanity, right? How do we make it better for everybody, not some people, everybody? That's a beautiful mission. And uh, I recognize we're running out of time, so I just have one last question. Yeah, yeah, we're good. For I our, 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 okay, sounds good. Uh, for our audience who are interested in reaching out to you, uh, what's the best way for them to get a hold of you? Um, go to equa.global and just interact with us any way you want to. If you want to find me personally, um, you know, I'm everywhere. I, might, I probably won't respond to you very quickly and I apologize about that. I've, uh, but I'm on Twitter, you know, I love tweeting people and uh, I'm, on all, I'm on all the things everywhere everybody is. So you'll find me, Sean Owen or Equa.Global. Um, you can reach out to me, Salt, Salt Lending, that's another way that you'll find me. So I'm there, I would love to talk. If I don't get to you immediately, no hard feelings, we will talk eventually. And um, you know, if this is something that's interesting to you, you think we can help you or you can help us, like we should totally talk because there's opportunity everywhere.